0: Thank you, Matt, and good morning, church family, and grace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11, we'll pick it up in verse 1, and we'll go all the way through to chapter 12, verse 47. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 406. Page and six. Our topic this morning is godly leadership. As always I'll begin in a word of prayer and then we'll look at the text together. So let's bow before the Lord. Our Father we do thank you once again for the opportunity to gather together and to worship you. And We thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord every time we open your word And we read its contents, we study it together, we are brought to a point of decision. Lord, we must decide whether we will believe your word or reject it, whether we will follow it or forsake it. And so, Lord, would you please help us now as a church family, help us to gladly receive the words of this text to put into practice every principle that we learn here. Lord, help us to become the kinds of leaders that you would have us to be. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's no secret that the American church is facing a leadership crisis today. Part of the problem is that there just aren't enough leaders coming through the pipeline. And so a massive number of American churches are without a pastor and they have no prospects of a pastor anytime soon but then another side of the problem is that many of the leaders we do have are simply unqualified for the work it's as if churches are so desperate to fill their pulpits that they've just abandoned the entire vetting process and so for example in just a two-week period A lead pastor in Fort Lauderdale, Florida was forced to resign following allegations of bullying and financial mismanagement. A senior teaching pastor in Fort Worth, Texas resigned after being charged with unlawfully carrying a weapon and driving under the influence with a minor. A pastor from Chickasha, Oklahoma was jailed after being charged with three counts of indecent conduct with a minor. A lead student pastor in Phoenix, Arizona was fired for having an affair with a church employee. And on and on it goes, and this is just in a two-week period. So I say again, there is a real leadership crisis in the American church today. The church needs to relearn what genuine godly leadership looks like. And she needs to insist that her leaders model godly behavior. This is why we need the book of Nehemiah so badly today. You see, Nehemiah is a master class in godly leadership. This book follows the career of this man called Nehemiah from the moment that he accepted the mantle of leadership in Israel all the way through the the, uh, leadership he exercised in Israel as he sought to rebuild and revitalize God's chosen nation. This book shows us what godly leadership looks like. It shows us how godly leaders inspire God's people to do God's work in God's way. And friends, what I want to do with you today is to work through this passage and draw attention to the leadership principles that we see here. We are in Nehemiah. Chapters 11 and 12, a huge passage of Scripture for me to try to preach on in one morning, but I'm going to do my best to get through it. In these chapters, uh, Nehemiah's leadership abilities once again come to the forefront. And again, we see five qualities of leadership here that we need to learn to practice as a local church. I want to go through these five qualities with you so that, as a church, we will always make good leadership decisions here. Let's go through them together now. First leadership quality I see here is the following, that godly leaders lead by example. Godly leaders lead by example. Look at the first part of chapter 11, verse 1 with me. It says, Now, the leaders of the people, okay, and that refers to Nehemiah and Ezra and a few other key players, okay, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Now, we've learned a lot of important things about Jerusalem through this series. We've learned that it was the most important city in ancient Israel, and because of that, it was also the focus of Nehemiah's rebuilding efforts. But we've also learned that it was an extremely dangerous city to live in. And that's because none of the nations around Israel wanted to see Jerusalem rebuilt. They saw a rebuilt Jerusalem as a threat to their own national security. That's why guys like Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and so many of the other foreign leaders were constantly trying to get Nehemiah and the workers to stop their rebuilding. They mocked Nehemiah and the workers. They threatened them. They raised up troops to invade Jerusalem to try to take this city out. In fact, even after the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt, the city remained extremely vulnerable because, according to Nehemiah 7, verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. So there simply were not enough able-bodied men to adequately defend this city. And yet, and yet, Nehemiah and Ezra and the other key leaders of Israel chose to live there anyway. And they chose to live there because they believed in the revitalization of Israel. And they believed that the key to rebuilding Israel was to have a vibrant capital city. And so these men had no problem being the first to live in Jerusalem despite its dangers. And they would live there in Jerusalem in the hopes that their courageous presence there would inspire other Israelites to join them so that Jerusalem could finally be secured. This is what true leadership is like. True leaders lead by example. If you want your people to be courageous, then you must be courageous. If you want them to be faithful, then you must be faithful. If you want your people to make sacrifices for the cause, then you must make sacrifices for the cause. And you must be the first to act, and your courage must be greatest, and your sacrifices must be the greatest. You must model in your own life... The virtues that you want to see in the people that you are leading. Friends, this is what leadership is all about. Now, maybe you've seen that old war movie, We Were Soldiers. I think it came out in 2002. The movie stars Mel Gibson and he plays Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore. This movie depicts the first major battle of the Vietnam War. And What happens in this first battle is that Colonel Moore is sent to North Vietnam with 400 soldiers, and when he lands, he learns what his mission will be. He and his 400 soldiers have to eliminate a North Vietnamese force, which had just recently attacked an American base. Trouble is that American intelligence had no idea how many North Vietnamese soldiers were involved in that attack. And so the battle commences with with Moore and his men being completely blind to what they're up against. Well, early on in the battle, they capture a North Vietnamese scout. And through this scout, they learn that they are going to be up against 4,000 North Vietnamese troops. 400 Americans versus 4,000 North Vietnamese. And this movie... Follows Colonel Moore as he prepares his troops for this great battle, as he tries to to buttress their courage to face these foes. And in the most famous speech of the movie, a speech that reflects what Colonel Moore actually told his troops, he says this to them: He says, Men, I cannot promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this I swear. Before you and God Almighty. That when we go to battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off, and I will leave no one behind. Friends, that's leadership by example. And Colonel Moore kept his promise, and the movie is very careful to demonstrate this. They show his boots being the first to land on the battlefield. And then they show his boots being the last to leave. He did not step off the battlefield until every one of his soldiers, living and dead, had been helicoptered out before him. At one point in the battle, Colonel Moore was told to leave the field to give his commanding officers a briefing on the progress of the fight. And Halmore refused the order. He said, I am not leaving this battlefield while my men are in the thick of it. He said, I'm staying with my troops, and they can find out how the battle went after it's done. Friends, if God is calling you to be a leader, this is what he is calling you to do. He is calling you to model in your life the virtues that you want to see in your followers. As the Apostle Paul said to his young protege Timothy, he said, Let no one despise you for your youth, but be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul was saying to Timothy, this young pastor of the church in Ephesus, he was saying Timothy, this must be the focus of your ministry. Be an example to your congregation. In every way, an example in your speech, in your lifestyle, in everything. And if you will concentrate on that, God will bless your ministry. Now Paul was not promising Timothy Paul was not promising Timothy success numerically or riches, or fame, or anything like that. He was promising that God would use Timothy to accomplish things of everlasting value. To the church in Corinth, the apostle Paul said this, Follow me as I follow Christ. So here we have the model. We have Christ who is the ultimate example. And all of us here are meant to follow Christ, his virtues, his leadership. And Paul said to his followers, you follow me as I follow Christ. So we have Christ, leaders follow him, and their followers go after them. Friends, this is how Christian discipleship happens. It's through the examples that we set. Christian, do not underestimate the power of your personal example. Model the character you want to see in your followers, and the Lord will use it to accomplish his purposes. In fact, just look now at verses 1 through 24 here in Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah and Ezra's courage has inspired all Israel to follow in their steps. Verse 1 says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and because of that, the rest of the people, that is, all of the others living in Israel, they cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. Verse 2, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Okay, so... Nehemiah, Ezra, the other key leaders, they have set the example. They have chosen to live in Jerusalem. And now as a result, all the rest of Israel has been emboldened. And now they are going to hold a lottery to have one in ten of them move to Jerusalem as well. And don't think that because this was a, a lottery that everyone was reluctant to go. No, it was just the opposite. Everybody wanted to go to Jerusalem. Everybody wanted to rebuild this nation and to be in this capital city, but they understood that not everybody could go. You see, there were other towns and villages that had to be occupied, there were crops to raise, there was livestock to care for, and all the rest. Only about 10% could be spared, and so they held this lottery. 10% of all Israelites would relocate to Jerusalem. That would be about four to 5,000 people in total. And you see there in verse 2 that the ones who won the lottery willingly went. They willingly went. And all of the rest of the Israelites who stayed behind, they blessed these willing servants. And so Nehemiah set the example, and it encouraged everyone else to follow after. And now Jerusalem is being strengthened, it will be a defensible city now. Verses 3 through 24 give us a listing of the people who made Jerusalem their new home. Verses 3 through 9, we have a listing of ordinary citizens. Verses 10 through 14, a listing of priests. Verses 15 through 24, a listing of Levites and gatekeepers. I also want you to notice the caliber of the men who came and joined Nehemiah. Verse 6 calls them valiant men. Verse 8 calls them men of valor. And verse 14 calls them mighty men of valor. These words mean they were bold and courageous men. They were men who were willing to stare danger in the face, to live in Jerusalem despite the danger. That's the kind of men who came to Nehemiah's side. You see, his own courage inspired all of them to be courageous. Now, friends, God might not call you to lead an army into battle, He might not call you to rebuild a dying nation, but you will be called to lead in some capacity. Maybe he'll call you to lead a family as a mom or dad, or maybe a business as an owner or a manager. Maybe you will be called to lead your local church. However God calls you to be a leader, know that he is calling you to lead by example. To set the tempo with your own life and doctrine. So, those of you in leadership positions right now, friends, what do you want the people beneath you to be like? Okay. Parents, think about your children, managers, business owners, okay, think about those under your responsibility. Pastor, talking to myself, deacons of the church, think about those God has entrusted to your care. What do you want those? individuals to be like? What virtues do you want them to embrace? What do you want them to believe? How do you want them to use their lives? Well, you become that person yourself. You set the example for them, and then you trust that God will use your example to accomplish his purposes. Again, this is the first lesson of godly leadership. But now we turn to the second lesson here. We see that godly leaders also have their priorities straight. They have their priorities straight. Now, since arriving in Jerusalem, Nehemiah's first priority has always been Israel's security. That's why Nehemiah's first project was to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. And from the beginning, Nehemiah has also stationed guards around Israel. It's why after the walls were built, he instilled a a strict curfew. It's why he would lock the doors of Jerusalem every night. Nehemiah prioritized Israel's safety. You see, if he couldn't guarantee Israel's safety, then nothing else that he did would matter. What good is it to reinstitute temple worship if nobody is going to be safe in worship? What's the point of having all the exiles come back to Israel if the next morning they're all going to be mowed down by their enemies? It all starts with security. Everything else can come after that. So Nehemiah knows what the priorities are. He begins with safety security. But then the next priority we've seen is the priority of worship. Once he had everyone physically secured to the extent that he could, Nehemiah next wanted God's people to live for the glory of God. And we see this here in verses 10 through 24. In fact, worship has been a vital concern to Nehemiah throughout his time in Israel. But if you look in chapter 11 here, Verses 10 through 14, we find that among those he brings back to Jerusalem, we have priests recalled. That's verses 10 and following. Priests led Israel's worship. Verses 15 and following, the Levites are recalled. They assisted the priests. Verses 19 and following, the gatekeepers are recalled to Jerusalem. Okay, these are temple gatekeepers. Verses 21 and 22, the overseers of the Levites, temple servants, and singers are recalled to Jerusalem. Now, you understand that none of these men were fighters. They were religious leaders. But worship was such a priority to Nehemiah that as these one in ten uh, Israelis are coming in to Jerusalem to fortify the city, he wants to make sure that a good number of them are also religious leaders. Safety is a major concern for Nehemiah. But so is worship. Worship. So as leading God's people to glorify God with their lives. Now, friends, as we consider the leadership positions that God has entrusted to us, whether as parents or as business leaders, as managers, as church leaders, we need to consider these priorities as well. I believe that Nehemiah's leadership priorities should apply to all of us at all times. First priority, secure the physical safety of those entrusted to our care. To the extent that it is possible, we must protect those that God has given to us. If we can't protect them, then none of the other priorities we have can can be accomplished. We must keep our people safe. Parents, your responsibility is to protect your kids to the extent that you can. Church leaders, we must make our church building a hardened facility. It must never be a place vulnerable to attack. We must keep our people safe. But then we prioritize worship. We work to lead our people in the, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We teach them how to live for the glory of God in all of life. My friends, godly leaders set the example. Godly leaders also have their priorities straight, and at the very top of their priority lists are the priorities of safety and worship. Now we come to their third quality. Godly leaders also care about every person entrusted to them. Every person. Not just their key players, not just the young and the healthy and the strong, but everybody. And we see this in chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. Here we have a listing of towns and villages outside of Jerusalem and of the people who lived in those locales. These verses show us Nehemiah's concern went beyond just the walls of Jerusalem. Yes, that was the focus of his efforts, but his concern wasn't exclusive to Jerusalem. He was concerned about every last person in Israel because he was Israel's governor. He was responsible for them all. In fact, if you look with me at verse 27, you'll notice the town of Beersheba. Beersheba was located a full 40 miles south of Jerusalem. And yet Nehemiah knew what was happening in that town as well. As we move into chapter 12, we see a listing of still more people including the time of their return from exile. So in chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, we have a listing of priests. Verses 8 and 9, a listing of Levites. Verses 10 and 11, a listing of high priests. Verses 12 through 21, another listing of priests. Verses 22 through 26, a naming of source books with genealogical records for Israel. Friends, as we go through this, it becomes clear to us that Nehemiah knew his people and he knew them well. In fact, I think that's one of the lessons to take away from all of the lists in the book of Nehemiah. Have you noticed as we've worked through this book how we just have all of these long lists of people and places? Well, a major takeaway from it is the fact that Nehemiah, the governor of Israel... He knew his people. He knew their names. He knew where they lived. He knew what their occupations were. He knew what circumstances they were up against. He knew it all. Friends, to be effective and godly leaders, we must know our people well. And we must love our people. We must show the same kind of concern for our people that Nehemiah showed for his You know, Michael Andrew is a man who often writes about leadership. I recently came across an article that he wrote for LinkedIn about his own father. His father was a podiatrist, but this is what he remembers about his dad. He says, I assume my dad was a good doctor, but what I really remember about him are the many times I stopped by his office after high school, and as I waited in the lobby, I invariably heard him engaged in conversation with a patient. And I used to hear conversations about every conceivable topic. They were topics that were important to the patient. What made my father a successful podiatrist was really his ability to relate to each of his patients. And that really resonated with me because here we have a doctor. He undoubtedly had hundreds and hundreds of patients to look after. And he probably saw dozens of them every single day. And yet this doctor took the time to get to know every single patient under his care. He learned their names, and he would engage in small talk with every one of them, and he would listen to them as they shared with him the things that were important in their lives. Not just the medical needs that they came in for, but he wanted to know them as persons. I don't know if this man was a Christian or not, but this is what Christian leadership looks like. You know your people and you love your people. And that means that you get to know your people, not just their names and their immediate needs, but you know them. You know what they do for a living, what what drives them. You know their strengths and their weaknesses. You know their interests and their hobbies. You know everything that you need to know so that you can be a good leader for them. Friends, this is our calling to take a personal interest in every single person that the Lord should give us to lead. So parents, let me ask you, how well do you know your kids? Do you know the strengths and weaknesses of your children? Do you know what they're going through in school? Do you know all of their hardships? Do you know what drives your kids? Do you know what makes them tick? How well do you know your kids? Do you know what it's going to take to lead them from where they are now to where they need to be? Or business owners, managers, how well do you know your employees? Do you understand what they're going through when they're not on the clock? You need to know this so that you can be a good leader to them in the workplace. Church leaders, how well do you know the members of your congregation? I mean, do you really know them? Do you know their circumstances? Do you know where they live? What the state of their their households are? Do you know their, their struggles? Do you know their victories? Are you able to weep with them as they weep? Are you able to rejoice in their victories? How well do you know your church members? Friends, godly leaders set an example for their people. And they know the right priorities. And they care for every person entrusted to them. And then the fourth quality, and we'll have to move very quickly through these last two. The fourth quality of godly leaders, they celebrate their people's accomplishments. They celebrate their people's accomplishments. We see this in chapter 12, verses 27 through 43. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through this passage in detail, though it deserves a sermon all to itself. Because what happens in this text is that Nehemiah hosts a party for Israel to celebrate the completion of Jerusalem's walls. And as we go through this text, it is clear that Nehemiah spares no expense to make this a party to remember. He has choirs. He has instrumentalists. He has other singers. He he has parades. He has confetti. I'm making that part up. But he spares no expense to make this the greatest celebration that Israel has ever seen. And he has one parade going this direction in Jerusalem. Another parade is going in this direction. He has a third parade going another direction. And then they all meet together at the temple in Jerusalem. And the party ends in an act of worship as the people offer sacrifices and they praise God. And what Nehemiah is doing here is he is celebrating the accomplishments of his people. And he's not doing it in a way that would put the spotlight on himself as the leader of all these people. No, the spotlight is on them and what God has done through them. See, friends, godly leaders know the importance of celebrating a job well done. People need this after a great effort. Okay, if you're a leader and you ask your people to give time, and money, and energy to a cause, and then they buy into the cause and they do it. And they work so hard to make the vision a success. If they will do that for you, then what they need from you in return is acknowledgement of their service. They need their leader to say, yes, I saw that sacrifice. I saw what you did. And I saw that you bought in to the cause. And I thank God for you. People need that. They deserve it. And as godly leaders, we must do that for our people. And as we do so, we are worshiping God as the one who gave us such dedicated workers and who accomplished something great through them parents, your children need you to celebrate every victory, whether it's the victory of of learning how to tie their shoes, or it's graduating from high school, or it's doing something great. They need to hear you say, I saw what you did, and I'm thrilled for you, and I thank God for you. Employers, The employees that you are responsible for need you to acknowledge their dedicated service. Maybe they hit their sales target. Maybe they just finished a a major project. Maybe they they completed the fiscal year under budget. They need to hear you say, "I, I saw your dedication and I acknowledge it and I thank you for it. As a congregation, friends, when we set our minds on a great task and then we get it done, there needs to be a moment of celebration for us too. And there needs to be a time when the leaders of the church, those who asked the congregation to sacrifice so much to make it happen, when they also say, thank you for a job well done. Godly leaders celebrate their people. And they don't draw the attention back to themselves as the leader No, the attention goes solely on those that God gave them and who did the work. And because of this, and this is our final point here, godly leaders earn the trust and support of all the people that they've been given to lead. We see this chapter 12, verses 44 through 47. Now in these verses, Nehemiah makes a series of leadership appointments, but then we come to verse 47, and note these words. It says, And all Israel, all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. The idea here is that in the days of Nehemiah, all of Israel was fully fully supportive of the revitalization efforts because Nehemiah had been a great leader. He had set the tone with his own personal example. He had gotten his priorities right. He had celebrated his people's work. They knew that he loved and appreciated them. And so they gave their all to the cause. All of Israel in his day, they gave willingly toward the support of Israel, and especially toward its worship. My friends, now more than ever, we need leaders like Nehemiah. We need leaders like this in the Church of Christ. Leaders who will lead by example. Leaders who have their priorities right. Leaders who care about every single person entrusted to their care. Leaders who celebrate their people's accomplishments and who have therefore earned the support and trust of everyone they lead. Now may the Lord grant us such leaders in our day. May the Lord help us to be such leaders in our day. And with this, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. And greater still, Lord, is the example of Christ we pray that you would help us to follow the words of Paul when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Help us to look to Christ as our ultimate model. To look at other leaders, to follow hard after them to the extent they are faithful to your son. Help us all to be leaders in our own context, whether it's in the home or in our, our workplace, or whether it's here in the local church, or whether it is in our neighborhoods. Lord, wherever you have given us a place of influence, help us to be godly leaders. And Lord, please use us to accomplish things of everlasting significance. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.